0: Howdy! And welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. Howdy to you, howdy to Andy. What's up, buddy?
1: Hey there, partner. How you doing? Welcome to the show, everybody. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. We talk about albums and all the things that make them so awesome. This week on the show, we're continuing our essential journey projects uh, I've been doing essential jazz kind of the history of jazz and the dude has been uh, focusing on the blues but there's a transition happening
0: Yeah I jumped I jumped horses <laughs> Oh nice one. If you uh,
1: Yes what are you uh, jumping onto
0: I'm jumping onto the country music so I you know the blues thing was really to get at the roots of rock and roll that I love And I really like country music, but it's always been limited to, you know, your Willie Nelson's, your Waylon Jennings, the kind of outlaw country from the 80s and 70s, and Johnny Cash, that kind of thing. And then there have been modern bands and artists like that that I've enjoyed, but I haven't really jumped in to the gene pool that is country (laughs) music, and so I wanted to do a project where I worked on the history of country. And I've looked into the history. I've listened to tons of super old records from the twenties and thirties. And for once I decided I would try and touch something modern because I'm, that's what I'm trying to discover is what in modern country can I grip onto as well? Cause I'll talk about plenty as we move through this. I want to talk about Hank Williams records and all that kind of cool stuff, but there's a band around that I've been wanting to talk about. And this feels like a perfect excuse to torture you because you're gonna effing hate it, brother.
1: <laughs> well, I think I, I have it coming after some of the uh, more adventurous instrumental records I've managed to listen to the last few months. So, uh, yeah, let's jump right into it, man. Let's uh, let's strap on our boots and uh,
0: <laughs>
1: great I'm way through some
0: some shit. <laughs> hey. All right, just for that, I'm going to make people wait, and you're going to go first.
1: No, come on, dude. We've already built it up. You got to go.
0: Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) I want people to wait and listen to hear you say something negative.
1: (laughs) All right, man. Let's do uh, some essential jazz, then.
0: Oh, oops. I'm sorry. That's not the jazz promo. Come on, Uh, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I messed up yeah i didn't i didn't mess up i did the toilet on purpose
1: (laughs) all right well i've been diving into jazz for the last six months or so here but there's one element to jazz that i hadn't really touched on yet and that was the vocal jazz side of of the genre so I spent the last uh, month or so kind of digging into some of the more popular artists in that space, and there's there's quite a few that I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Nina Simone, Dana Washington kind of the, the main ones I was listening to, but there was one artist that presented herself and I stumbled upon her her record from uh, 1953. The name of the record is Black Coffee, and the artist is a woman by the name of Peggy Lee. She was uh, kind of a musical prodigy. She taught herself to sing at the, at the age of... Um, 14, she made her radio debut and um, kind of just took off from there. She um, was playing some jazz clubs in Chicago and happened to be heard by the name of God, uh, by the happened to be heard by a guy by the name of Benny Goodman, who was uh, very popular at the time. If you don't know, he was a clarinet player who had a a very popular orchestra at the time. And uh, he kind of took Peggy under his wing and they did some uh, recording together and put out a bunch of singles and they did very well. She ended up getting married and took a year or two off from, from her vocal career to raise a family. But then, in the early 50s, she uh, kind of came back on the scene and put out this awesome record, which I have been just eating up. I've been really, really, really enjoying it. Um, before I get your thoughts, dude, let's uh, let's play the title track and the opening cut from this record, Black Coffee. I'm talking to the shadows One o'clock till four And Lord, how slow the moments go when all I do is pour black coffee. Since the blues caught my eye, I'm hanging out. Mm, man, so smooth, so sultry, so much uh, emotion in that voice. What did you uh, What did you think of her singing, man?
0: I mean, it's great singing. I've I've heard her many times over the years. Probably didn't know I was hearing her, but yeah, I mean, that's definitely I think about the movies from that era and the sultry singer lady with the you know long gloves. She sounds mm-hmm. like a Marilyn Monroe type, you know.
1: Yeah, she actually looks quite a bit like Marilyn Monroe, especially at this time. She had the kind of the bleach blonde hair and, uh, you know, very, very attractive in my opinion. Watch a few of her performances with the, uh, the orchestra and some of her, um, you know, the sobriety type shows they would be on. And, uh, yeah, she's, she fits their voice very well, I would say.
0: It feels like maybe you're falling in love or something. I'm not really sure. It's, uh.
1: Yeah, you know, when you just, you like, I don't know. We listen to a lot of music doing this show. I mean, dozens of records a week and every once in a while, it's like Christmas almost. You can find that one you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited about this record. It's it's almost like falling in love. Kind of get the butterflies and it comes on and you're like, ooh, so excited to listen to this one. So yeah, that, that was this record for me. I absolutely ate it up, adore every track on here. I just kind of fell in love with her voice and I've probably been driving uh the cats and my girlfriend crazy at my house, listening to this so much the last few weeks, but absolutely loved it. Um just give you a little more background on how it came to be. So in this time period, kind of like the forties, thirties and forties, um a lot of the records that were getting put out were just singles because that was kind of how the record industry was working at the time. The fuller the full length records were usually soundtracks or compilation records so originally this record was put out as an eight song uh 10 inch i guess you call it an ep um because that was kind of how things were done at the time and later on later in the 50s they would release this with a full 12 tracks you know four new tracks to kind of flush it out into a full record and that's that's the version i've been listening to it plays together very seamlessly you really don't even can't even tell the difference in time there between the recordings
0: And that's an LP, right? So EP is extended play, LP is long play, and that's a standard record length.
1: Exactly, exactly. So this is like a 12-inch, kind of the full-size vinyl you'd expect to see. Yeah, so this was under the the DECA um, label. She had just transitioned over from Capitol, and she put out a few records under this label. She was known for being um, a very adventurous in her singing and the topics she wanted to cover. There was one song in particular that Capitol would not release, um, so she jumped ship, and she came over to the DECA label, put out this record, which I think is fantastic. All of these songs are are kind of, uh, jazz standards that she's just kind of lending her, her voice to along with kind of the small group she's playing with. And it has like that very kind of intimate jazz club or jazz club, jazz club sound to it, which I think, uh, is really appealing to me and really fits her voice well because it is kind of that sultry, smooth, um, intimate, uh, sound that she has. Yeah, she sings very softly, which I think it kind of stood out to me. A lot of the vocalists at this time were kind of known for their big, loud sound they could make, but she was much closer to the mic and kind of kind of drew me in with this um, kind of more muffled, uh, soft approach that she had. So let's play um, one more track on from this record. This is uh, track four. It has more of like a kind of bossa nova, Latin vibe. To the, to the sound, or to the instrumentation, which is uh, something that she was known a lot for, kind of experimenting in the sound of the music and wasn't afraid to uh, to mix genres at all. So this is uh, track four, My Heart Belongs to Daddy.
0: Are you daddy in this scenario? <laughs> I wish. a
1: boy some night, To dine on some fine fin and Hattie. I just adore his asking for more but
0: my heart belongs to Daddy. Yes, my heart belongs to Daddy. I simply couldn't be bad. Oh, my heart belongs to Daddy. That that
1: that 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 I want to warn you, Laddie. Hmm, I just love the sound of her voice there. And let's the, the, by far the most up-tempo track on the record. The rest is a little bit more kind of jazz oriented. But uh yeah. Love this love this record, man.
0: Well, yeah. It's for those that are not jazz hands like Andy over there. Uh yeah, it's it's certainly completely pleasant. Fun to listen to. Um I wasn't taking bubble baths or anything like you, but yeah, <laughs> it's uh it's really good. I mean it's fun to listen to. It sounds like that time period and it has an innocence but also that kind of undercurrent of sexiness which used to be a part of how we did things where things were hinted at
1: right right yeah that whole kind of uh keeping things under wraps and being a little that's the word i'm looking for here playful yeah playful but not like overly in your face about their sexuality yeah it was still just kind of kept them closer to your chest back then and I, i there's not about that appeals to me. Maybe it's just because we're so overt in our culture nowadays that it's 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 nice well, yeah, to yeah. have the contrast.
0: <laughs> he used to keep you know things to yourself. Just in general, you know, the sexuality was hinted at. There was innuendo in songs and in movies and in shows where you. It's just the line is you know we just keep pushing the line and. And uh, it was kind of fun. We've talked about this before, even in the era of Prince, when we were talking about the Prince records, where a lot of it was innuendo and he was pushing those boundaries. And back then they weren't trying to push boundaries. They were just being proper, but also a little saucy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is a really nice representation of that of that era and of her catalog for sure. She went on to put out quite a few more records um, all the way through up to the '90s. Um, she had a stroke in 1998 and passed away a few years later. But she put out all types of different types of records, um, a lot of Latin and she even some rock type records. But she kind of would always come back to the, to the jazz and That was her strong suit and. I'm really glad to have uh, gotten to uh, know her a bit more and uh, thankful to the uh, Essential Jazz Project for doing that.
0: listen to any Benny Goodman because of listening to her? Have you kind of walked down that path? Because there's a lot of that big band jazzy stuff that's pretty interesting. Yeah,
1: you know, that's a, that's a good point, man. I think that might be something cool to jump into next. I did listen to, to him playing quite a bit with her and uh, yeah. yeah, he was impressive, man. I never really heard anybody play Claire out like that before, so... I'd be be curious to dive into that a little bit more maybe in a future episode
0: Alright, so I guess we're taking it back to basics
1: Yeah, Right. that's right Let's get back to simple We're going to
0: make like lemonade Country time (laughs) How long have you been saving that? (laughs) I just made it up, brother Let's get country Nice. That's a little dueling banjos from uh, a very creepy movie. Oh, my gosh. Deliverance. Oh,
1: man. That's the only part of the movie. Anyway.
0: (laughs) All right. So what I want to talk about is a modern band. I've really kind of struggled with newer country music, pop country music. And I found a band that I am interested in, and I think their new album is really interesting because of the way it's structured and what they're trying to do. The band is A Thousand Horses, and the album is Bridges. I don't know that this is going to be a country classic for generations to come or anything. What they did here, they had an album uh, come out a few years ago, produced by who, Andy, my favorite Music producer, uh, what was uh, his It could have perhaps been Dave Cobb. Yes, it was Dave Cobb. Good call. Shocking. Yeah, well, he's, int- he's into everything I like. So the album was Southernality, and they had a hit on it called Smoke. And they're kind of a Southern rock outfit. They've got a little bit of a Black Crows vibe to them. They also almost sound sometimes, at least on this new release, Bridges, kind of like Daughtry like sort of that middle of the road alternative rock of the early 2000s where I'm captivated by what they're trying to do so their first record was a little more stripped down and this one has six new songs and the rest of the 13 tracks are actually live so it's really more of an EP with a bunch of live recordings primarily from a a recording session in London and their hit song Smoke is um I think from Nashville, recorded live. What this did for me was let me kind of hear what where they're trying to get to. So they're trying to fill in their sound. So these six songs are the bridges, the whole thing there. It's like it's a bridge between, they've been around for eight years, a bridge between what they were and what they're becoming. And it is kind of pop country. It's kind of rock. But I'm going to play a song first because I want Andy to react to an actual track and i like the fun lyrics and the attitude here but i have a feeling mr judgy isn't gonna (laughs) isn't gonna feel that way let's hear it so here we go with blaze of something brace myself So, Andy, <laughs> whip it out,
1: brother. <laughs> I like I say, man, when you first sent this record over to me, I thought I clipped on the wrong the wrong record. So, like, there's no way you would pick a record that sounds as like commercial sounding. It's uh, It sounds like something I would hear on, on the radio. I mean, I don't listen to the, to the broadcast radio a whole lot anymore, but it sounds like something I would hear on, like, the pop country station, like. Fifteen years ago it's yeah it's so bland lyrically and i don't know the first the i guess the one thing i would say in its defense once you get past the the first six songs your original tracks here and they get into some of the acoustic um songs from their previous record it's a little more tolerable for sure i think what what makes it really repulsive to me is (laughs) <laughs> it's the, the clean production sound to it, or it has that pop sensibility to it.
0: Yes, it does. And that's been a struggle for me. I have not embraced much in terms of the stuff they might play on country radio. Okay. And this felt kind of like, well, the album's called Bridges. It felt like a bridge from that. I didn't think I'd like it. I didn't mean to like it, but I do because it's pure fun and the lyrics are fun. And there's some thoughtful stuff about growing up in a, in a Southern town. And, you know, there's good songs there's solid writing on some of them. Some of them like blaze of something. I mean, obviously it's a play on blaze of, you know, going to go out in a blaze of glory, go out in a blaze. in this case, I'm going to make my mark somehow. So yes, it's simple, but it's fun. And, I forget sometimes that that's okay because I've been so focused for whatever number of years on it having all to be so serious. Right, right. But I will give you that, and this is where I'm a little concerned about a new full length from them, is I really enjoyed the live versions of the new songs that were on there. I think three of them appear again with live versions. Mm-hmm. Then so the rest of them are from Southernality. The... Black Crows with sound, the but with more of a country sensibility than the Black Crows, with kind of a Blackberry Smoke feel. I did enjoy those with the background singers and all that stuff more. But this was the first time that I found myself actually enjoying fun, you know, straddling the pop country. But at least they're a band. They write their own stuff. And I can at least hide behind that for now. <laughs> But I did really like Southernality, and I've enjoyed this record against all odds. I've really enjoyed it. Every time I listened to it, that was a surprise.
1: Yeah, well, let's let's play one of those uh, acoustic cuts here that I think might be a little bit more tolerable for me and maybe uh, a little more tolerable to like the, kind of the traditional country sound.
0: This one's called Preaching to the Choir, and it is a new song, but this is the live version.
1: To the choir, raise your hands a little higher. If you want to sing along to a Saturday night revival song, let me see you sparking up your.
0: Yeah, so uh, they're from Nashville. The band actually worked on the production with Corey Crowder and Dan Huff. So I'm I'm just curious. I really like that song Smoke from Southernality. I like that whole album, and I just want to see where this is going. And I think it's fun. I wouldn't call it pop country. Some of the songs will be on pop country stations and will be popular, but I don't consider them that. I consider them a southern rock band with some friendly sensibilities let's call it that friendly
1: sensibilities are these guys um this came out earlier this year what a month or two ago yeah um are they becoming popular or is this is this are these songs uh taking off on radio or how are they uh it seems like a type of thing that could
0: i believe they actually did their last album they won an award for smoke uh, some CMT and American Country Countdown Awards, Amer- Academy of Country Music Awards. Oh, no, they were nominated. They didn't win them. But uh, Southern Alley sold 50,000 copies, which, you know, those numbers are hard to cons- know what that means anymore. Right. But it was th- number three on the U.S. country chart, number 20 on the U.S. chart, and then Bridges, I think, hasn't charted or anything yet, but it just came out. Like I said, I think it's more of a stopgap between they're touring and what they're doing, and they had some stuff to record, and they made this EP, and it gave them an opportunity to experiment in the studio. Yeah.
1: It feels like a nice sampler of the band, you know, kind of get a sense of where they're going and how they sound live. If you're thinking about checking them out this summer at a, at a venue or something, it's probably a good, a good listen for you.
0: Yeah, and, I, you know, I thought that the live stuff in particular, all of it, Traveling Man, Preaching to the Choir Sunday morning, wow. I mean, how Black Crowzy, but still... Unique story, really good. One Man Army, love that song um, on bo- both versions, but I prefer the the live one. Uh, Bridges, First Time Smoke, all those live ones, I love, love, love them. But you know what's kind of cool when you're listening to this and you hear you hear Preach to the Choir and One wa- One Man Army, blah blah blah, and Bridges, and you like those tunes, mm-hmm. they come back around a, with a slightly different version. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I don't know, I, I don't really have any real defense. I just. Enjoyed it and I can't explain why, but I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to talk about it, even though I knew you were going to have a problem with it. But you know, at least it's, it's English words that uh, aren't a bunch of gobbledy, tuka, mooka, lika, tika, like whatever <laughs> <laughs> that crappy made me listen to a couple of months ago or weeks ago. So this stuff's going to sneak in. You're going to end up loving this. <laughs> And you're not going to tell me. You're going to get a Thousand Horses tattoo on the, <laughs> on the small of your back and uh, I'll know the truth. So I say check out a Thousand Horses. Check out Bridges. It's my you know country education that's happening right now and trying to open myself up to stuff beyond what I've always listened to. So, oh, hey,
1: man. We're always always in favor of that on the show for sure. So thanks, I guess, for making me listen to it. I, you know, one thing I could say is If I happened to walk past their stage at a festival and they were playing live, I probably wouldn't run in the other direction. They sound like a pretty good live band, so I'll give them that. So yeah, Essential Jazz, Essential Country Projects. We had uh, Peggy Lee, Black Coffee, and A Thousand Horses, Bridges.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Is this going to be painful? uh yeah so go on i'm sorry i got distracted by the banjo
1: no that's cool man i think uh i think that's gonna do it for this episode be sure and listen to our show next week we got a fun one planned for you it's gonna be a recap of 1992 We've been working our way through the 90s and we're up to 92 we got a couple of great records as well as a fun look back at some some favorite singles from that year it'll be a good listen for all you uh late millennials out there you're 30 somethings um yeah so give us a listen to that and show. for us
0: Gen Xers don't forget the Gen Xers you son of a bitch ah <laughs> uh, you guys put your hearing aids in and listen too you wouldn't have this that music <laughs> if it weren't for us
1: <laughs> alright alright so we'll talk about that next week be sure and give it a listen and in the meantime hook us up on Twitter and our website albumnerds.com thanks for listening everybody
0: I concur listen subscribe Tell us what you think. Tell us what to listen to and have yourselves a wonderful, country-filled week. Or take a bubble bath and listen to Andy's music. (laughs) Bye-bye. See ya.